Welcome to Destiny Revival Ministries Sermon of the Week. Thank you for joining us. You can stay up to date through our social media or give from the link in the details. We hope this message blesses you. I said all that to make the point, you know, that we do this so much. You know, I mean, we, there, you know, we, obviously, yes, we read our Bibles, we get in the scriptures, we get in the deep things of God. But if you never open the wrapper, and taste for yourself, you know, just how good God really is, then, you know, if, if I'm sitting here trying to convince somebody of how good something is, and they ask me, well, how often, you know, do you eat these? And if I haven't eaten one in, you know, a year, five years, you know, something like that, you know, you're going to be wondering to yourself, well, okay, how good is it really? But if I tell you that I'm eating, you know, one of these at least every day, then some of you might be like, well, you know, maybe I'll give that a shot. You know, maybe I'll go give it a try. You know, and so something else. So I know what you all are thinking. Y'all can just tell I've drastically slimmed, you know, up. And, uh, and yes, my secret is these protein bars. Uh, no. Uh, Byron and I have started running every morning. I uh, did that for, started, started about five weeks ago. Um, so we're, we're keeping each other accountable and uh, trying to keep, you know, running every morning. And he's you know, miles, miles ahead of, of where I am, you know, but so I, as part of this of what I'm doing is I, I've been, you know, skipping breakfast, you know, not really eating breakfast during the week. That's questionable whether or not that's good or not. I don't know, but that's what I'm doing. But on weekends, on Saturdays, I'm usually pretty busy. I'm in the garage working or outside working, you know, there's usually some kind of project involved. I'm going to get hungry. Same thing on Sundays. We typically don't get to eat lunch until later. So in order to try to curb my appetite as much as possible, I eat one of these, you know, on a Saturday or a Sunday morning. And it helps me to not get as hungry later. Or if I do get hungry later, because I will on a Saturday because I'm working, it hopefully will at least keep me from rummaging around the pantry as much as possible to snack and pick at something until my lunch is actually ready. You know, so when I keep myself filled with something that is of substance, something that is good, you know, then I'm less likely to go after, you know, the other things that aren't as, you know, I'm, I'm not as grabby, you know, for different things. And I, and I hope I'm painting somewhat of a clear picture here, you know, of an analogy, you know, of, and, and that's, what this whole, that's what this whole thing is about. This is what I've been just dwelling on for the last couple of weeks, is just tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And that's, uh, we're all familiar with that scripture verse at Psalms 34, 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And, you know, so kind of what I was saying uh, while we were praying, um, something I was getting just literally a few minutes right before we left uh, to come to church this morning is Joe Biden is not our enemy. Whoever is in office, you know, is not our enemy. Um, people are not our enemy, and our fight is a fight of faith or the destroying of our unbelief. Um, you know, and just the scripture verse, you know, that says, you know, he walks, the, the, the devil, he walks about as a roaring lion, roaring lion seeking who he might devour. Okay, he's not walking around and just eating everybody, you know, up. And so again, our fight 
is a fight of faith versus unbelief. And I want to read Mark 9, 14 through 29. I'm going to read it in the, uh, in the Passion. Chapter 9, verse 14 Now when they came down the mountain to the other nine disciples, they noticed a large crowd of people gathered around them with the religious leaders, or I'm sorry, religious scholars, arguing with them. The crowd was astonished to see Jesus himself walking toward them, so they immediately ran to welcome him. What are you arguing about with the religious scholars, Jesus asked them. A man spoke up out of the crowd. Teacher, he said, I have a son possessed by a demon that makes him mute. I brought him here to you, Jesus. Whenever the demon takes control of him, it knocks him down, and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth, and his body becomes stiff as a board. I brought him to your disciples, hoping they could deliver him, but they were not strong enough. Jesus said to the crowd, Why are you such a faithless people? How much longer must I remain with you and put up with your unbelief? Now bring the boy to me. So they brought him to Jesus. As soon as the demon saw him, it threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground, rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Jesus turned to the father and asked, How long has your son been tormented like this? Since childhood, he replied. It tries over and over to kill him by throwing him into fire or water. But please, if you're able to do something, anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, what do you mean if? If you are able to believe, all things are possible to the believer. When he heard this, the boy's father cried out with tears saying, I do believe. Lord, help my little faith. Now when Jesus saw that the crowd was growing, was quickly growing larger, he commanded the demon, saying, Deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The demon shrieked and threw the boy into terrible seizures and finally came out of him. As the boy lay there looking like a corpse, everyone thought he was dead. But Jesus stooped down, gently took his hand, and raised him up to his feet, and he stood there completely set free. Afterwards, when Jesus arrived at the house... His disciples asked him in private, why couldn't we cast out the demon? He answered them, this type of powerful spirit can only be cast out by fasting and prayer. And so, you know, we all know, you know, this is no great revelation. We've all heard this before. You know, obviously we know that whenever the father brings the son, you know, to Jesus and Jesus says, you know, this can only be cast out by fasting and prayer. Jesus did not go lock himself up to pray and fast for however long, you know, so that he could come back, you know, with the, you know, full force to be able to take on this demon and cast it out and set the boy free. You know, Jesus lived, you know, in a state of fasting and prayer, you know, and there is literal, obviously there is literal 
fasting and prayer, but then there's also a lifestyle. There's also something that's in us that compels us or that we stay you know, in this lifestyle. And I'm not talking about never eating you know, again, but it's talking about dying to your own appetites, dying to the things of yourself, dying to the things that you want to pursue, dying to the things that you're after, you know, dying to the things that you know, we know can cause you know, pride, cause you know, different things to come in us, and also prayer, which is just simple communion you know, with the Father. Jesus stayed in constant communion with him. And even though he and the Father were one, always communing, Jesus still always went off by himself to pray. You know, he did that all the time. And, and so much to where the, the disciples knew that the secret, you know, to the way that Jesus, everything that he did, everybody that laid his hands on, everything that he prayed for came to pass, they knew that because he was so successful and that had something to do with his prayer life. And so that was the one thing that they asked him is teach us how to pray. You know, they knew that there was something to the way that Jesus prayed. They knew there was something to this prayer language that allowed Jesus and the Father to be in, to be in sync and in one with each other. Um, and so, you know... With all this sickness, you know, like we, I, again, wanted to pray for, you know, I felt in my heart this morning to pray for so many people that are, um, that are sick. You know, it's not necessarily about the, the sickness or the fact that all this is going around, but the, the ploy of the enemy is to instill fear. You know, and if he can put fear in people, you know, then he's winning, you know, he's winning the battle. And, and so that's where this battle is, is tasting of the goodness of God and knowing just how good the Father is so that way when these other things come against us, we recognize them as not being from the Father. You know, and so we're able to stand on the goodness of God, just like the song said, you know, I believe that we'll see the goodness of, of God. And it's because if we, if we step back and look back in our own lives, we don't have to look very hard to see just how good the Father has been to us time and time again. You know, not just, not just every day, but in so many situations. You know, I know I'm not just speaking for myself. We've all, at some point, multiple points in our lives, have seen God operate in our lives, not because of us, but oftentimes in spite of us. You know, He has stepped in and He has prepared a way, and that's what He does. He doesn't he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. You know, he doesn't always obliterate everything away from us just like we would expect him to or want him to do. He prepares a table, a feast right here and says, look, all this is going on. Guess what? None of this is ever going anywhere. There's always going to be persecution. There's always going to be sin. There's always going to be these other things around you. But if you can keep your eyes focused on me, I've got a table, a feast that's here to feed you, to keep you strengthened, to keep you strong, to keep you encouraged. And he's sitting at the table. He didn't just prepare that feast and say, hey, here's some good stuff for you. Enjoy and walked away. No, he's sitting at that table. He pulled out the chair for you and he's saying, come join me. You know, I mean, that's, that's not exactly the picture that we that I myself, you know, would, would typically expect, you know, to come saving on the scene. Like I said, again, we want, and I've said this before, but it's, 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 it's still true, you know, is that, you know, we, we want God to just remove the situation, to remove the fire, to remove, you know, that which is coming against us. But so much of that, you know, if, again, if we can learn to sit at the table and commune with the Father in the midst of it, we come out on the other side of this purified by the fire instead of burned by the fire. 
you know, and just like the, um, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, when they're standing before the king, you know, they said, look, our God can deliver us. Whether he will or not, we don't know. But either way, we're not going to bow before you. And so, you know, oftentimes, you know, we, we feel like we can surrender to God as long as we get that outcome that we want. Um, but Jesus is saying, no, surrender the outcome, you know, to me as well. You know, surrender the whole situation. And I'd much rather him be at work on my behalf, working out not just the end result, but also the path that I'm taking, you know, through the trial as I get there, because he walks with us. Psalms 23, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, he will, we will fear no evil because he's with me. You know, his rod and his staff, you know, they comfort me. And I always had a somewhat of a distorted view, I guess, on that scripture verse. I think of the rod and the staff because um, I know the staff is, is, to, is to guide. Um, the staff, if you look at the shepherds, the staff would have this hook you know, on the end. And so the sheep would oftentimes get themselves in some kind of bad situation, fall into some kind of trap, whatever it might be. You know, and the shepherd would be able to use his hook to you know, pull them up. You know, so the, the staff is talking, and I, I'm not deep. I know there's much more deep, deeper stuff you know, going on with this rod and the staff. But what, in my simplicity you know, of what I've gotten is his staff you know, is guiding us, is leading us. But I always had a misconception of that rod. I thought that rod was, he had ready like this to beat me over the head you know, every time I made you know, some stupid mistake. You know, as soon as I wandered off the, well, pow! You know I mean? Just, 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 just smack you. But how many of you know there's an enemy that's always trying to come and eat the sheep, catch the sheep, so that rod was not to hit us, but to strike the enemy that's coming against us. You know, so again, we get, these, we get these distorted views sometimes. And again, I can speak about this because I've been there. Um, we get these distorted views of God. You know, some, we, we base, hey, this happened, this bad thing happened, or this good thing didn't happen, you know, whatever it might be. And so we, we're always tasting and seeing something. But not everything that we taste is necessarily of God. You know, and so some, sometimes we, we, we partake of something. Sometimes something bad does happen, and we give it to God. And we say, hey, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did this happen? And it's like, you know, and so we start to form these opinions or beliefs or theologies or just these different things of how we've, how we fit God into a little box. We all have these little boxes that we try to fit God into, and if anything's outside of this little box, we say it's not of God, you know, and if it fits in this box, we say it is of God, you know, and that's why we're just, you know, whenever something actually does happen that comes our way, we've got nothing to stand on. You know, we, we, we can't recognize, if, I think if we really understood just really and truly how good he is and how much he has done, you know, for us from the beginning of, from the beginning of time, that he's always been doing everything for us on our behalf with our best interest in mind, working everything out for our good, then I think we would be less likely to turn against him whenever something does happen and all of a sudden we start complaining, God, why this? God, why that? You know, and instead we can say, look, this is not of you because I know you. I've, I've witnessed you in my life. I know this cannot be the father, you know, that's holding me by the hand, you know, that's leading me and guiding me every step of the way, that's working everything out on my behalf. So because I recognize this is not being who you are, this is not, I cannot attribute this to you. This is obviously 
obviously something of the enemy. So God, I turn this over to you and I turn to you. He can work out the situation. Um, so, you know, I always just keep coming back to, you know, the simplicity, you know, of the gospel. You know, we, are, we ourselves, you know, I use, again, I, I can use myself as an example because I've done a lot of the wrong, you know, a lot of the wrong things. So it's easy for me to pick on it. You know, but we can, we can make a, a, the gospel far more complex, you know, than it really is. And largely we do that because if I can heap to myself more revelation than you have, um, then guess what? You start looking to me, um, I can uh, sound intelligent, you know, when I'm talking about a situation. And next thing you know, I've put myself up on a pedestal, you know, I've raised myself up. And we do that so much, you know, we try to just heap to ourselves revelation, you know, and knowledge. And whether we want to admit it or not, it's because we want to sound more intelligent, you know, than somebody else. Well, I have a greater portion of God, you know, than you have. But religion wants to just get us bogged down chasing, you know, so many different things. And don't get me wrong, the things of God are fascinating. They're interesting. There is so much depth to who God is, you know, to, to kingdom reality, um, you know, to just the scriptures. Every scripture verse, you could, you could sit on one scripture verse for years and never fully understand the depth of just a single scripture verse and how it can apply to each and every, you know, situation. I mean, it's just amazing. It's infinite. You know, the wisdom of God is infinite. The revelation of God is infinite. But we can never lose track of the simplicity of the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel has to come first. And I know I sound like a broken record because it seems like every time I talk to people, all I'm ever talking about is just our relationship, you know, our personal fellowship, you know, with him. That is at the root of, of everything. Everything has to come out of a, of a fellowship and a personal relationship you know, with God. If, it, if I have revelation coming to me, if I'm moving in miracles, if I'm moving in signs and gifts outside of a relationship with God, I don't want it. That's in the scriptures. That's in Mark. It's, that's where he's talking about, Lord, you know, we stood before, we, we prophesied in your name. We cast out devils. We healed the sick. We raised the dead. You know, we've done all these things. And he says, but I never knew you. Depart from me. You know, so he's after fellowship. He is after a, a one-on-one relationship and not just us coming to him every morning with our, you know, prayer list, you know, of what needs to happen, but actual communion with him as a father, our Lord, our Savior, our friend, you know, all of the above. He's, he's everything, you know, to us. And that's what he is, that's what he's looking for, you know, in a relationship with us. And... And it's just exciting, you know, when, you're, when your prayer language starts to change. You know, I've, I've used this as an example a few times. One of, the, one of the things that I enjoy more than anything is being in the car, driving to work, driving home, driving to a meeting, you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, I, I, I listen to a lot of, you know, sermons or, you know, whatever it might be, listen to music, you know, whatever. But there's nothing that I like more than just talking to God. And it's something, it's a, crazy because I've been saved my whole life, but it's a new concept to me that I can actually know him as friend. You know, and that's what he's, that's what he's after. And so you know, now you know, I'm not approaching God with my to-do list you know, for him that I have or a list of all of my problems. Yes, I pray you know, and ask God you know, for help you know, in situations, but it's like, okay, 
I'm friends with him now. And so when, when we're speaking, you know, when I get in my car and, we, and I just start speaking to him, you know, we, we, we get this um, special kind of language. If you can tell, you know, who actually prays, you know, to God, who actually speaks to God, um, you know, and often versus not very often, you know, the, the people who don't do it very often, it's all, you know, Father, 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 thou, 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 you know, I beseech thee and, you know, I extol thee and exonerate thee and, you know, I mean, all this kind of stuff. You know, we think that God is impressed, you know, with our spiritual language, you know, that we might have um, when he's like, I, can you just talk? You know, can, can we just, can we just communicate? You know, and I have gotten far more communication with God when I'm talking to him as a friend than all my many years of my impressive uh, theology, my impressive words, you know, that I try to bring about, you know, to try to impress God to say, look, I know a lot about you, um, so don't you want to talk to me? You know, he wants to know each and every one of us individually, you know, every single level. And I'm, 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 I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, but you know, I had a, uh, a scripture that I thought about. Uh, I thought about this years ago, uh, and it just came back to me last night. Um, David, you know, King David in the Old Testament, you know, scripture says that he was a man after God's own heart. And one of the things that always stood out to me about David was that he didn't do anything unless he knew God was with him. You know, Moses was like that. So many examples of these mighty men in scriptures, you know, didn't do anything. And, and oftentimes I'd find myself, you know, in the past using that as an excuse to say, well, I'm not going to do anything because God didn't tell me to do anything. So I'm just going to stay here and just not move. You know, so there's, there's some fine line there, you know, between, you know, moving, you know, and stepping out and flowing with the Holy Spirit, you know, or just going out and doing things on your own and dragging the Holy Spirit along like he's a puppy dog on a leash. You know, so one of the things that I, that a story that always sticks out to me is, is King David. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll read it real, real quick. Uh, it's two different accounts. Um, this first one is 1 Samuel 30, verse 1 through 8. Um, yeah, so this is at a time David and his men were out uh, pillaging, you know, other, um, other places. Uh, it says, then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. Uh, Ziklag was where they were staying. Um, that was their home at, at the time. Uh, King David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had carried out an attack on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it from the small to the great without killing anyone and drove them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. Also, David was in great distress because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David felt strengthened in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, this is what stands out to me just immensely, shall I pursue this band of raiders? 
His wives were just taken. All their wives, their daughters, their sons, everybody was just taken. And David is taking time to say, God, shall I pursue them? I don't know about y'all, but if that would have happened to me, I'd have been like, whew, you know, here we go. You know, I mean, we'll figure out a battle plan on the way, whatever. You know, but, you know, grab your gear, we're going. But David had a lifestyle of this. This is not just one example. I'm just extracting this one because this is one that hit him personally. You know, this is, you know, this is not just, hey, some of the other men, some of your other army were affected, you know, whatever. No, David, he himself was impacted. You know, they took his own two wives. Um, Shall I pursue this band of raiders? Will I overtake them? And God said to him, pursue, for you will certainly overtake them and you will certainly rescue everyone. So he does, he rescues everybody. Not a single person was harmed. No one was killed. Um, Great, you know, great battle, you know, all that. Then fast forward all the way to 2 Samuel 5, 17 through 25. Very similar situation. Now, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek out David. And when David heard about it, he went down to the stronghold. Now, the Philistines came and overran the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly hand the Philistines over to you. Then David came to some place and defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. Therefore he named that place Baal Perezim. And the Philistines abandoned their idols there, so David and his men carried them away. So similar situation. You know, if things happening, David asks, hey, do I go after him? God says, yes, go after him. You overtake him. Sure enough, he does. Here's a slightly different uh, change. So now the Philistines come up again, verse 22. The Philistines came up again and overran the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, but he said, you shall not go directly up. Circle around behind them and come at them in front of the shrubs. And it shall be, when you hear the sound of marching in in the tops of the shrubs, then you shall act promptly, for then the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. Then David did so, just as the Lord had commanded him. He struck and killed the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. So the difference here, same thing. God um, God tells David, yes, go ahead, but go about it this way. Now, how many of you know that didn't necessarily need to be the case. You know, God could have told him, just like in every other situation, yeah, go, I've handed him over into your hands. David goes and attacks him, uh, wins the battle, just like he's always done. But this time, God said, yes, go ahead and go, but wait, attack him this way. Wait, for you, wait to, until you hear this sound, then attack him this way, then they'll be given to you. So this time, David actually got some detail you know, into exactly how he was to go about winning the battle. And the thing that I take away from that is when we commune with God, when we're in fellowship with him, when we, are, when we know how to hear the voice of God, he wants to be involved in every detail of our lives. He doesn't, he's not just interested in saying, here's the outcome. He's interested in saying, and here's how we're going to get there. And I, I just... I think that that's something that we really need to understand is that that's kind of what I was coming back to is that we want to sometimes do things, you know, on our own, just knowing that what's God's will, of course it's God's will for me to go and get, you know, 
it was God's will for David to go and get his, his wives back, you know, and their families back. If he wouldn't have, I'm sure his men would have killed him. You know, so yes, it was God's will. So we oftentimes understand what the will of God is, but he still wants to be with us in every, in every single situation so he can work things out on our behalf, you know, with us together. Um, let's see. Um, and so, again, just coming back to the simplicity of the gospel, you know, so simplicity, you know, again, focusing on that fellowship with him, focusing on hearing the voice of God is going to get us far further than the heaping to ourselves of all this other revelation knowledge. Like I said, I'm not coming against any of any of that. All of that is great. That's fantastic. But it has to come first out of a place of knowing who he is. And so we have two commandments, you know, that the New Testament gave us. And that's Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Um, 34 says, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they called a meeting to discuss how to trap Jesus. Then one of them, a religious scholar, posed this question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus answered him, Love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. Contained within these commandments, contained within these commandments to love, you will find all the meaning of the law and the prophets. So the two commandments are to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, or in other words, to know the Father and to make the Father known. You know, that's, that's basically what the simplicity of the gospel, you know, boils down to. That is what we are all called, you know, to a place of fellowship and making his goodness known, you know, everywhere that we go. It's not necessarily a, a call to go to all four corners of the earth or everything like that, but everywhere where your foot, everywhere where your feet take you to bring him, to bring the presence of God with you wherever you go. And this is something that I wrote down, whenever it's good or, whether it's good or bad, where you spend your time, what you think on, what you pursue is what you become. If you dwell on lies you believe about yourself, you will become those very lies. However, when you dwell in the presence of God, you become the very presence of heaven here on earth. We can't take the presence of God for granted. And we also can't not understand what it is that we carry, what it is that we have. The presence of God has to be just as vital to us as breath itself. And, you know, I'm not, that's not just words. I, I, you know, I mean that. That has to be, if we're not in the presence of God, then that has to be something that, I, hold on, I, I need to get myself, you know, in the presence of God before anything else, you know, happens here. That has to be paramount in each of, in each of our lives. And we don't, we, it's too easy to take it for granted. We don't realize what we're carrying. We oftentimes don't realize that presence that we're carrying everywhere that we go. You know, we're, we're scattering seed everywhere we go, not just through the words that we say, but even just as carriers of the presence of God to a situation. Uh, it was Jonathan Edwards, I hope I don't butcher this, where he says, the, the beauty of Christ is what bows the knee and withdraws the heart. You know, and so the, the presence of God is the, is the embodiment of the, be, the beauty of Christ. And we carry that with us everywhere that we go. 
And that, just that caring of the presence tears down the walls, you know, helps to set people free. I know all of you have, have noticed this, you know, just when you're in the presence of God and when you're out and about, people just come up to you and they just open up and just tell you their whole life story and you haven't even gotten their first name yet. You know, I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane the amount of people that come up to you and just, wow, okay, I, I, I said hi. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, great. You know, I mean, you know, that, thank you, you know, for, for opening up. You know, it's awesome. You know, but I mean, it's not, it's not like we're going around saying, hey, tell me your life story. What, where's your struggles? You know, what, uh, what fears do you have? What, uh, what sicknesses do you have that I can be praying? No, they just come up to you and just, man, share some pretty sensitive stuff. Huh? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. And so, and that's what the scripture talks about. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. You know, we're not here as psychiatrists, you know, trying to just extrapolate, you know, everything out of people so that we can start to figure out applications and this is what you got to do, you know, and this and this and this. It's like, no, if he starts to work, he's drawing the hearts of people through the presence that we carry. So that same presence is enough to do the work, you know, and and so, you know, I, I remember, you know, and, and some of y'all have, I've shared this example with, it was about 10 years ago, um, I came down with a bad case of pneumonia, uh, sniffing some glue that I wasn't supposed to be. Uh, <clears throat> yes, I was putting down a wood floor, putting, using some very, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, some very, very strong glue, and uh, me, I'm anti-mask. So, you know, I'm s- smelling all this glue, and Went to bed feeling fine, uh, you know, a little tired, but, you know, felt fine. Woke up in the middle of the night, uh, stood up, um, and passed out. And, and then immediately, you know, freaked Amy out. You know, she wakes up, you know, helps me get back in bed, and I'm just immediately just coughing up bowls of water. And that went on for four weeks. And, you know, it, so it was, a, it was a scary thing for me because there was two nights, it's something I'll never forget, there was two nights back to back, um, you know, I was always fighting to sleep, you know, I, I mean, I was just exhausted, I could not sleep, you know, it's I'm just constant cough, I mean, just never ending, just bowls of water, sorry, to TMI, I know, but it's just, it was, it was bad, it was really bad, and there were two nights where it was actually the opposite where I was afraid to go to sleep because I got into the point to where I felt like I was having to make a conscious effort to breathe. And that fear was running through me like, man, this is, breathing is something that I've always taken for granted. I've just always done it. You know I mean? I don't have to think to myself, okay, you know, I don't have to, I was having to do that. And so I was actually afraid to go to sleep because I thought if I fall asleep, I might die. And um, so that was a very, uh, very dramatic, very, very difficult time. But I remember the second night, you know, that that happened, I, I didn't die. Um, so the second night that that was happening, uh, you know, I said, I'm, 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 I'm going to push through this. I got out my guitar. I started playing worship songs, started trying to sing. Absolutely had no breath. I mean, I couldn't sing, you know, to save my life. But I was literally just pushing through it, pushing through it, pushing through it. Um, couldn't sing more than w- literally one word at a time, you know, but just kept pushing, kept pushing. And there start, from that point, there started to be a turnaround, you know, and, and I, I recovered, you know. And so, but it was in that situation that I just realized how important breathing really is and how much I was taking it for granted. 
You know, and so the presence of God has to be of equal or greater value you know, than the fact that I have to continually remind myself to keep breathing. You know, we have to remind ourselves that the presence of God has to be number one in our life because the presence of God is breath itself. You know, I mean, our, our purpose here on life is not just to carry out as many years as possible, live the best life that we can, and then, you know, when we die, we'll see what happens. You know, I mean, that is not, that is not life's mission. That is not, you know, what any of us are here for. You know, and so we're here to be carriers of heaven. Heaven has come down. Heaven re- rests in each and every one of us. We are all carriers of the very presence of heaven in us, and we are distributors, you know, to wherever we go. And that has to be paramount. For those of us who don't carry that presence with us, that's, whenever you're going through a struggle, whenever you're going through a challenge, that's not necessarily the best time to be going and try to find the presence of God. If you had the presence of God with you, just like with this bar, if I was eating when things were fine, I'm not necessarily hungry when I'm eating this bar on Saturday mornings, but I know that I will be later. And so if we take the time when things are good, you know, and that's, that's honestly one of the biggest struggles, you know, because I, I do get opportunities to talk to a lot of people, but most of the people that I'm speaking with are people in the business world. And most of them think life is going great. You know, everything's fine. You know, we're signing contracts. We're making money. We're doing things. You know, why do I need God? Life is fine. You know, we're going to our baseball games this weekend and, you know, we're going out to eat tonight and all this kind of stuff. You know, why, why mess that up? You know, everything's just fine. But what I've noticed is, is whenever you bring the presence of God on the scene, these people that at a first glance you think have life together and everything's just fine, they break down and I'm amazed at how much uh, pain, mental illness, you know, all this kind of stuff that's going on, the people struggling with suicide, people struggling with just bad thoughts that just, you know, barely can, it's everything that they can do to just get out of bed, but yet they get out of bed and are wearing, you know, five-piece suits, you know, during the day. I mean, it's, it's absolutely staggering, you know, what's going on. And we carry, what we carry in us is what everybody needs. And it's not a formula. You know, we, we, we're famous for trying to uh, put a, attach a formula to absolutely everything that we do on this circumstance. We do this. In this circumstance, we do this. But it's all about just being led by the Spirit. You know, and I'll, I'll never forget my first encounter with, with experiencing a miracle, an absolute, actual miracle um, that God used me through uh, my dad had explained it to me one time. I asked him, what's the difference between a miracle and healing? And he said, a miracle is something that's instantaneous. A healing is something that can take a process. It's a process that has to be worked out. So I'm just throwing that in there. This is my first miracle that I instantaneously uh, encountered um, was in the prisons. You know, we all used to go uh, minister in the prisons. Um, you know, Angola, Dixon, Wynn, Phelps, you know, I don't remember which prison it was at, um, but every prison was different. You know, some of them, you know, I remember like in Angola, I know the area that, uh, that I was going to was just cells. Some other prisons we go to, there's people just walking around the yard. Um, I remember the first time going to a prison, I was shocked that how distorted, the, how the movies paint, you know, prison as being, I expected it to be just, um, 
eight foot tall guys, you know, weighing 400 pounds, you know, hugely built, you know, covered in tattoos and earrings and piercings and just ready to kill you. Uh, no, it wasn't. I mean, I'm not saying that they didn't have them in there, but they were largely, I remember telling people when, when I got back, I was like, they're just like everybody else that I meet. You know, these, these people just got caught. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, they were not that different. You know, uh, most of them were perfectly normal. Um, but I, so I don't remember what prison it was, but at this particular prison, it was a, you know, lighter security, you know, whatever prison. Um, so that, so the men were, were free to just walk about, uh, in the yard. And, uh, so I, we all had to pair up. So I was paired up with, um, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, uh, Brent. And we, we were standing on the sidewalk and we both had, we, we both had decided we were going to pair up together. And we were both just saying, look, we don't want to do it just a shotgun scattered approach. We want to be led by the Spirit and go and talk to specifically who we're here to talk to, you know, and uh, let's be, let's not go after quantity, let's go after quality. And uh, so we were both just standing there, we both just uh, prayed for a couple seconds, you know, whatever, as we're just kind of scanning the crowd, uh, there was probably, I think at that prison there was 800, 900 you know, people, so I don't know exactly who was in the yard, but a lot, a lot of people. And we both pointed to the same person at the same time, all the way across, all the way across the prison. We both zeroed in on this one person. It was 100% God. There was no way, you know, it's not like rock, paper, scissors, where I was waiting for him to point, uh, yeah, that's exactly where I was going. No, I mean, this was, this was exactly, you know, 100% uh, spirit-led. Uh, so we both walk all the way across, walk through everybody, you know, just, uh, you know, zeroed in on this one person standing all the way on the other end. Uh, and here, here was a guy that probably looked like most of us would picture, you know, I mean, this guy just, you know, covered in tattoos, you know, just sitting there smoking, hands in his pocket, looking down. He saw us coming and immediately just, you know, put his head back down, you know, turned around, walked, started walking the other way. And we're like, well... Hey, we both felt we're supposed to talk to this guy, so we pursued him, and, uh, which you're not supposed to do uh, in the prisons. But, you know, we were like, hey, we're, you know, we're doing it. So, uh, so we, 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 we managed to catch up with him, and, uh, and he absolutely had, did not want to talk to us at all. Uh, not interested. I mean, it looked like he just wanted to, yeah, he wanted to disappear or kill us, one of the two. I don't know. I mean, he, he was not happy. Uh, that we were there, you know, uh, in his space. And uh, so I'm not a small talk person, so I had absolutely nothing to say. Um, so Brent's just striking up a conversation. And, you know, because for us in the regular public, you know, one of the first things that we say is kind of an icebreaker. You know, when I meet somebody, I'm like, hey, what do you do? You know, what's your job? You know, whatever. It's kind of a way to start a conversation. In prison, you can't ask that. So my, net, my number two, if I'm talking to someone in prison, is, hey, what are you in here for? You know, and you're not supposed to do that either. You know, so, uh, so I'm just being quiet because I had nothing to say. Um, and so, you know, Brent's just making small talk with him because Brent is good at that. He can do that. Um, so I don't even know what they were talking about. I really wasn't paying much attention. And um, we're, just, we're just standing there, you know, Brent and I are just standing there facing him. And all of a sudden... I got the most excruciating pain in my, the, my right side, you know, behind me. To the point, and I'm not exaggerating, I'm not making this up, I turned around and I thought I'd been stabbed. 
I, I really thought I had just been stabbed. I turned around, but there was no one there. And I'm like, what was that? You know, I've never experienced that before. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, now I'm saying all this to say, I was not in a super spiritual place. I was not even praying in tongues under my breath while we're talking to this guy. I was just standing there because just being obedient. It felt like we were supposed to go and just talk to this guy. So I'm just standing there. So, I mean, this was not anything, you know, to do with me being, uh, you know, Johnny on the spot. You know, so I get this pain and I hear the Holy Spirit clear as day tell me this is not your pain. And so I interrupted Brent. The other guy hadn't said two words either. It was just Brent, you know, just talking. The other guy had nothing to do with us. Um, so I interrupted Brent. I said, look, I said, I know this is going to sound extremely weird. Um, I said, but do either of y'all have a pain right here? And neither one of them said anything. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is really weird. Um, and I, I said, you know, because I never really had moved in, in, in that type of thing before, you know, um, so it was, it was new, you know, for me. I've heard about, you know, having some kind of knowledge of, of pain, you know, witness of pain, you know, different things. Uh, so I just said, I said, man, I, I just got this pain and I pointed exactly, you know, where I got it. And I said, it just came on me out of nowhere. And I said, I know it's not my pain. Somebody has this pain. So the guy, the prisoner says, yeah. He said, I, I've been in pain for two weeks. Uh, I've been having uh, bad kidney stones. He said, I haven't slept in two weeks. Uh, he said, I'm supposed to be having surgery, but it takes them a while to get surgeries scheduled or whatever. So he said, I'm scheduled for surgery in a couple of days. Uh, and he said, I'm just in excruciating pain 24-7. Um, I, I can't sleep. And so it's like, okay, wow. So um, now what? You know? <laughs> so I told him, you know, I mean, again, I, I, I you know, hadn't read the handbook on how to, what you do. If, if this, then this. If this, then this. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't exactly sure of the proper procedure. You know, so uh, I said, well, would it be okay uh, if we pray for you? Um, and I said, I, I don't know. I said, I, but for some reason I got this pain, so I believe God wants to heal you. And he, he agreed, you know, and I think that's something that we don't expect enough is we think every time we're going to offer prayer to somebody, they're going to laugh us out the door or tell us something ugly or do something to hurt our feelings. And I tell you, I... I, I not just nine times out of 10, probably 99 times out of 100, you know, times that you ask somebody if you can pray for them, they're going to say yes. You know, it's very rare that somebody turns, you know, turns that down. So go for it. Um, so just started praying for the guy, did something else that you're, you know, not supposed to do. You know, I'm just sitting there just, you know, speaking in tongues because I didn't have any words to say. I didn't know anything. I had no wisdom coming to me. I was not, you know, speaking to this thing, casting it out, uh, waving a magic sword, you know, in the spirit, you know, I mean, I wasn't doing, you know, anything, you know, I was just praying in tongues. And honestly, I, I said, I'm just going to pray for you until my pain goes away. And so I had my hand on him. We're just praying. I honestly don't have any clue how much time, how much time passed, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. I'm not, it was a while. Um, it wasn't immediate. Um, but all of a sudden, my pain left. And so I open my eyes, look up at him, and he's in tears. And he said, the pain's gone. And 
he broke down. He became a different person, you know, at that time, you know, and what was crazy is, is even at that time, he was still expecting it to come back. Because as we're talking to him at that point, he keeps checking for it, you know, expecting for that pain to come back. Well, it was a two-day event. He came running up to us the next day, came to the service, you know, and everything, came up to me, found me, said, I just want to tell you, the pain is still gone. He said, I can't, I can't believe it, you know, that God actually touched me. You know, and, and that's what I'm saying. If we can step out sometimes... You know, and it's about a relationship. You know, I, I, again, I, I know I'm, I'm a broken record when I say that, but it's about a relationship. It's about a fellowship, you know, that we have with him and just saying, you know, here I am. You know, use me for whatever, he, whatever it is that he wants to say. I'm not, it's not here I am. Give me revelation so that I can do this. And that's one of the reasons why, honestly, I've told most of you, I hate doing this. I don't like doing this because if I know that I'm supposed to speak on a Sunday, then a lot of the things that I hear, because God speaks to me every day. I, I live with my notepad open. I'm writing stuff as God tells me things. And I do not ever want to get to a place where I'm writing something down because, hey, that'll make a good message point. That, that'll, that'll be great. That's, gonna, that's a good little one-line zinger you know, that'll you know, stick with people. No, I'm still growing. I, the things that I'm hearing, I'm largely hearing from me, you know, and I'm happy you know, to relay them. I'm happy to convey them because, again, we're all growing. We're all, yeah, I know he's, 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 in, he's soaking in the anointing right now. <laughs> I'm trying not to step on him. Uh, a lizard, a lizard. Yeah. Right, yes, absolutely. You can, you can stay. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, once again, if we spend all of our time, you know, just trying to understand, you know, reading the ingredients, you know, on this and trying to tell everybody, you know, hey, this is really, really good. You ought to try this sometime. But we ourselves have never taken the time to open the wrapper because these are amazing. These are really, really good. And so if we never take the time to open the wrapper... I mean, doesn't this look, it's, it's amazing, yeah, there, there's nothing healthy about this, I don't know what they're talking about. I mean, it's, they taste so good. And so until we actually take a bite and taste and see how good he is, then what am I doing, you know, trying to convince all of y'all of, hey, you really, you really need this, you know, you really want one of these. Oh, these things might taste terrible if I had never eaten one before. But because I like them and I know they're good, I'm confident in recommending them to people. You know, and so we're doing the same thing you know, as, as Christians. You know, it's, it's too easy to heap to ourselves knowledge. It's too easy to, as ministers, because, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I, okay, I might be up here you know, teaching, but we're all you know, talking to people you know, all, throughout our work weeks, you know, people that we encounter. We're all given opportunities to speak to people. And it's not about impressing people with my words, because in, I'm 37 years old, and so up until the time I was 35, that was my life, was trying to impress people with my revelation knowledge, of just how much I had learned, you know, about scripture, and trying to convince people that they were going to, going to hell, uh, because they weren't, they weren't matching up to this lifestyle. I was so busy pointing out the specks in everybody's eye that I was not realizing the massive tree trunks that I had going out of my eye. Because guess what? For you to see the speck in someone else's eye, that's something that the, the same material is in mine. You know, I can't see it in somebody else usually unless I have it working in me. So as, as quick as I am to 
point my finger at somebody, I have to immediately come back and point that at me and say, okay, why am I seeing this in somebody else when that obviously that same thing is working in me? You know, so none of, our, none of our callings is to point out everybody's flaws. You know, I used to think that was my anointed, my, my anointing and my special in calling life is, man, I just, I just had this perception. I can look at you and just see everything that's wrong. You know, I mean, it's, it's you know, and that never changed anybody. No one. I mean, you know, I never even impressed anybody. You know, I mean, man, I had some impressive stuff. You know, I mean, some good, some good revelation knowledge, you know, that, you know, I studied and I discovered. Never helped. Never changed anybody's life. But when I'm just walking, I mean, I'm at Costco pumping gas. You know, they have a little gas attendant there. I really don't know why he's there. You know, but they have a gas attendant there at Costco. You know, I'm sitting there pumping gas. He just comes walking up to me and just starts telling me his life story. I'm like, I didn't even look at him. You know, I mean, it's like, I didn't need help. I mean, you know, nothing like that. You know, it's just, it's that kind of thing. And it happens all the time. You know, there's, people are longing. There's a spirit in each and every person that's longing to be set free, that's longing to be released, that's longing to step out and overcome this flesh and everything that's in us. There's just this longing in every single person. And so spirit calls out to spirit. When that spirit that's in them recognizes that there's a spirit living and breathing in you, that spirit just pushes them forward, whether they release it or not, or realize it or not, their mouth just starts opening and they just start talking. And before you know it, again, that presence in me not saying a word, but there's a presence in me, there's an anointing in me that's doing the work, not because of me, but oftentimes in spite of me, that's just saying, hey, I put you right here because I wanted to touch this other person. And so just let it flow. And oftentimes, you know, it's not some super spiritual, you know, crazy response. You know, oftentimes it's just some few little words. You have encouragement that somebody might need. It touched me so much when... um, uh, when Miss Jennifer shared her testimony a few months ago, you know, and she talked about how, what was it, like 25 years ago, uh, that a lady, you know, when she was just at a, you know, at, at a bad, excuse me, bad place in her life, a lady just met her at the pool and just said, Jesus loves you. Just something super simple. And that stuck you know, in her so much to where she says to this day, if she could find that lady, she would like to tell her just how thankful she is for that lady just stepping out and saying something that, doesn't sound super spiritual, you know, but it was something that came out of a heart of love, and we can only talk out of love if we spent time with the Father. We can only love. Our love for each other is conditional. I don't care what you say. Me loving you, I can only go so far. If you keep refusing to love me back, you know, eventually I'm going to stop loving you unless I'm loving you out of the love of Christ. And that has been my prayer for the last two years, and I I hope that's true for everybody, is God, help me to see people through your eyes. Help me to love people with your love, and not just individual people, but the world itself, you know, as well, because God loved the world that he gave his son, and he still loves the world. And I can, again, I can point the finger at myself and say too many times, people ask you, what do you think about the state of the world? And I'm quick to say the state of the world as I see it. Uh, it's, it's wrapped up in sin. It's gone to hell in a handbasket. You know, our morals are declining. Uh, there's no ethics left. You know, there, you know I, there's a, a laundry list of things I can say. But how do you know? That's not the way God sees it. You know, God never saw me for the state that I'm in, the fallen state that I'm in. He saw me for who he called me to be. And that's why he drew my heart. 
You know, and so God sees the world, not for the state that it's in right now, but for the state that in which he created it to be. And that's why, that, like that song said, his heart will never stop reaching out you know, and drawing us unto him. He will never stop. And so, and he uses us, you know, we're not just sideline, you know, pew warmers saying, well, God, just draw the people, draw the people, you know, or whatever. No, he uses us. You know, he uses us to draw people. And again, it's not to go out, find a box on the corner of every street and just start preaching to people. If he tells you to do that, do it. But if you spend time with him, you'll realize just how easy the burden is. It's not a burden. It's a joy. You know, and, I, and I'm only getting into this because I, I know Pastor Mark, you know, was saying uh, within the last couple of weeks that he really feels uh, just a heart of evangelism, you know, that there's some evangelism that needs to start happening. And I'm trying to encourage to say, you can forget about evangelizing if you don't first have the Spirit of God living and breathing in you because you're going you're gonna to speak to your blue in the face. You know, but when you have him in you, that presence does the work. I, I, I can say it. You know, I'm not, I'm not putting formulas to anything. This is something that there's living proof of, and it's not just in me. It's in multiple people. So all I can do is just encourage each and every one of us, and I'm going to stop. Oh, my gosh. Taste and see that he's good. Because until you've tasted, it's kind of hypocritical trying to convince everybody else of how good he is when you yourself are not taking time to be in his presence. So, but that's it. All right, go ahead and stand. All right, well, thank you all for coming out. And so, Father, we just thank you. We thank you again for your presence. All right, we just ask that you just use us. Use us to reach those who you want to reach. Give us the boldness that we need to speak your word. Help us to pursue truth and not eggshells. That's a little phrase that came to me. Truth versus eggshells. You can't have both. There's no tiptoeing around. You know, speak truth and we need boldness to speak truth. And so God, just, just give us, give us the grace, give us the mercy, give us the opportunities as we spend time in your presence, Lord God. Just put in our hearts what it is that you have for us each and every day. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.